Hey, good morning. Welcome home. So glad to see you here. Um, you are at the inaugural 1030 service. We're so glad that you're part of it. Um, we chose uh, in the week of the college mid-fall break to start two services. And you're thinking, we're all not too smart. Well, God moves in strange and mysterious ways. So we thought we'd be strange and mysterious too. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in. Very handy. You're all in like first class seating now. So um, stretch out, enjoy yourselves, relax. And each one of these empty seats is, is an opportunity for prayer, is an opportunity for us to see, to ask our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and everybody to, to come and experience the gospel, to experience the truth of, of who Jesus is, how much he loves them and, and wants to show up and show off in their lives and set them free and bring them joy that they didn't know um, that they could have. And so we are, we are very, very grateful. Another thing we're really grateful for is that guy who's walking in the back, Tom Duff. And Michelle, I don't know where you are. Michelle, if you're within earshot, they are preparing the college lunch today. Let's give them a, a round of applause. Thank God for them. Thank you. Those guys are going to set up tables. It's great. Um, oh, it's wonderful. Um, so uh, this is a special morning. Uh, as you know, we're in Acts. We're studying the early church and we actually have a very uh, special guest here with us uh, who is from the early days of this church, of Bethany. Uh, it's Dr. Ron Shevlin, and he is the founding pastor uh, of this church 30 years ago. Uh, and he's visiting, and uh, we're just so blessed to have him with us. Uh, please uh, join me in welcoming him. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, guys. It's good to see all of you. Yeah, I came here 30 years ago, about 100 pounds ago, and uh, I came as a church planner, and I got to be the very first pastor. There's about 18 of us gathered, and we met in a school, and we just prayed that God would do something phenomenal with this town. So even though I, I recognize very few of you, I want you to know I've prayed for all of you. Maybe not by name, but generically. I remember sitting up on a ridge over looking at this town, praying that God would just capture this town for the Lord, and praying for the start of this church, and prayed for future generations, and I've prayed with you for you through the years. But I st still just, uh, I, I get goosebumps being up here because this was such a, a precious time in my life. We came into town and just determined that we'd never compromise on the message. The message would always stay the same, but methods would always change. That's why when I come back and I see a totally different type of look and different style of service, I'm thrilled to pieces because we're constantly trying to reach people, and so we need to change our ways always to do that without changing God's Word. I think you ought to reinvent yourself every five years as a church, and so I, I hope that you keep doing that so we don't base what we are on traditions or anything else. We just base it upon God's Word and the people we're trying to reach. There's a lot of sacrifice that went into those early days, and I'm sure that there's a lot of sacrifice that still is going on today. I personally was paid $7,000 by this church per year, lived in a, in a mobile home down by the river. You know, sort of remember that motivational speaker? That was, that was me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yet God placed me in this mobile home where I could look out the window and pray for the neighbors next door, the guy that ran the court. And I kept praying for Mike and Patty, and I got to lead Mike to the Lord. Then after that, Patty to the Lord, and they became members of the church. And that set the trend. We wanted to be a church that just reached out to people in love. We use that motto, speaking the truth in love. I still see it on your signs. And that's what we want to try to do, is reach people for Jesus Christ, and then through solid, deep Bible teaching, grow them towards spiritual maturity. Another thing we uh, wanted to do is reach a lot of students. How many students we got here today? Man, it was so much fun when at the beginning the students started trickling in, and, and then it got bigger, and we had about 50 college students. Sunday afternoons were so much fun at my house because a bunch of them would always come over every Sunday afternoon, and we'd watch the Bronco game together. And then we'd go out to park, and we'd play touch football, and I'd spend about a day on campus every week. I loved the college students, and uh, so I'm glad it's a church that's still reaching college students. That is so much fun. So I'm thrilled that you're going strong. I'm glad you're going to two services. There are sacrifices to that, but I think it helps reach more people, so good for you in doing that. And you can pray for me. Uh, since I left, I've pastored other churches, and none of them have been more fun than this one. 
I remember my first Easter here when we had the big total of 66 people. I mean, that was just huge for us. And so I've gone to other churches. I remember the first time our church grew and we had 1,000 people. And I thought it'd be really exciting. There's no comparison between that and getting 66 people. You know, everything's so relative. But it's all about people. Well, I've pastored other churches for 10 years. I was the director of an association of churches where we planted churches and uh, tried to strengthen churches. And right now, I've just began a new ministry as a director of what's called I-Training. And uh, the I stands for international. It also stands for internet. Because what we're trying to do is train church leaders around the world through international teaching and through internet resourcing. And uh, so I'm being sent out by Converge. It's a mission agency. And so in the coming months, I'm going to be in Nepal and uh, Myanmar and India and Mexico and other places. And so I've been praying for you all these years. Would you pray for me? Would you do that? How many will pray for me? Raise your hand. All right, all right. And you can check me out by Internet. Class, try to remember this. It's www.i-training.info. Say that. www.i-training.info. I've got a few brochures. There will be some on the table so that you can find that on there. But if you get on there... Then I'll, I'll keep giving you new prayer requests, updates about the ministry. Plus, we give free stuff away. I will give you free books if you'll just get on my website and look at it. But if you'd pray for me, I'd sure appreciate it. This afternoon, we've got an informational meeting at Buffington's at 6 o'clock. If you don't know who they are, then ask around. Somebody will, and we'd love to invite you to that. But again, Tom, thank you so much for letting me come on back. God bless you. God bless you and your ministry. I pray that God will continue to use you in wonderful ways. And I know it's your heartbeat to just reach this community for Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what we're here for. Amen. So thank you Amen. so much. Thank you. Now, before I, I let him go sit down, we're going we're gonna to pray, uh, and not just today, uh, but we're going to pray for uh, Pastor Ron, and, and we want to start now. So uh, I know a lot of you are internationally minded, and, and, and so let's, let's just have a time of prayer. If you want to come up and, and join him here, I want to invite you, if you'd like to do that, come on up, and, uh, and we could pray for him, and you could pray from your seats. But if you'd like to join us up here, just place your hand on him in, a, in an appropriate place, and, uh, and we'll just pray. Lord, we are so grateful, uh, Lord, that you started uh, your uh, redemptive plan in this church so long ago and that you used uh, the faithfulness of, of this man and so many people, Lord, to set us on your course to continually bring your love and your message of hope and forgiveness and salvation uh, to those who are far from you. And Lord, we are all we are all broken, and we're all in need of you. And we thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for you, him being here. We thank you for this new ministry. Lord, we ask you to anoint it and bless it and strengthen him and continue to use him in powerful ways that transform other countries and equip leaders uh, who can shepherd people as, as we all move closer and closer to you. And, and we love you, Lord. And we thank you for his presence here with us. We ask your blessing upon him. And Lord, we partner with him in prayer as he goes forward into this new ministry that you've led him into. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, Acts 14. Acts 14, that's where we are. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 14. If you don't, uh, there may be one under the seats in front of you. Uh, that's, uh, we're going to be on page 790 if you'd like to use that one. If you don't have one at home, that's yours to keep free. Take it, use it, read it, be blessed by it. We want everybody to have one. So um, the last two weeks, we've talked ab about um, some very attractive things. Two weeks ago, we talked about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the fact that Jesus has love and acceptance and blessing and 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 favor for people like me and you who are a million miles away from deserving that and how great that is. And, and so we had a lot of people respond. And that's great because who doesn't want grace, right? And then last week we talked about being filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And it's another positive thing. We talked about being filled to the fullness of God and God filling in our empty places and all of that and filling us with joy when our circumstances say we shouldn't have any. And, and again, a ton of people responded and we're grateful for that. But 
who doesn't want to be filled with the fullness of God? And then we have this week. And this week, things change a little bit because um, this is a hard truth that we're going to be talking about. Um, And not so many people will find it attractive. You say, Tom, how do you know that? Are you using your pastor's superpowers? And I would say, no, (laughs) they don't exist. So how I know it is because Jesus, during his earthly ministry, would talk about some beautiful truths, some beautiful, attractive things, and, and he would draw a huge crowd. And almost invariably, he would then unpack for them a very difficult truth. And also, almost invariably, most of them would walk away from him. And, and this particular hard truth that we're going to be talking about presses into um, areas of our lives that, that are just, just very difficult. It, it asks for us to uh, be brave enough uh, to uncover those things that we've been trained to keep hidden, uh, to allow Jesus to touch those things we don't want anybody to touch because they, they hurt too much. And a, a lot of people don't. And they walk away and they're not brave enough. And I would, I would pray that, that we wouldn't be those people. Um, because um, it's, 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 very, it's very indicative. When a hard truth comes, this hard truth will do what all hard truths do. And that is separate the Jesus fans from the Jesus faithful. That doesn't mean all the fans are over here and the faithful are over here, but... You know what I'm saying with the Jesus fans? Jesus fans are those people who when everything's going good and everything seems to be falling into place and their circumstances are great and the the weather's great and they're all about Jesus. But when life, as it invariably does for all of us at one time or another, in one way or another, kicks us in the head while wearing steel-toed boots, well, Jesus, eh, not so much, not so much. I pray that that wouldn't be us because right then, right then is where we need the beautiful, hard truth of Jesus entering into our suffering. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then we'll get started. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Lord, I would ask you to please make us brave, make us courageous, Lord. We don't want to be fans that that come and go. We want to be the faithful who praise you no matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter what's going on in our lives. But Lord, you're going to have to overpower that part of us, that part of me, that part of my friends here that that likes to shy away and, and bury those things that hurt, those things that really Break our lives, break our hearts. Because Lord, only in you can we find truth. Only in you can we find hope. Only in you can we find healing. Lord, there are no perfect people in here. And I'm certainly not, but you're a perfect God. And so I want to confess before my friends and before you my sinfulness. And I wish my sins weren't so many. And Lord, I'd ask what we always ask, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and Lord, just penetrate to the deepest part of us and transform our hearts so that we might see you and love you and embrace you and experience you as you long for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the title of this message is Jesus is Enough. Very, very simple. Jesus is enough. I said this would be a continuation of uh, the messages that we've been, uh, what, that we had last week, which we, we studied the last verse of chapter 13. So we're going to pick it up there, touch on that a little bit, and see how that affects everything that we're going to study this morning. So the last verse of chapter 13, verse 52, here we go. Take a look at it. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That is so 
awesome. And last week, we talked about all the awesome and ecstatic and beautiful things that that implies. So you may be thinking, as a continuation of this, how can this be so hard? Well, because last week wasn't the whole story. Uh, This week is part of the rest of the story, and, and that's the hard truth. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the very first things that the Holy Spirit indelibly tattoos on our hearts is the fact that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Can you say that with me? Just say it. Jesus is enough. One more. Like you mean it. Jesus is enough. Yes. Now, as simple as that sounds, if we could only wrap our minds, wrap our hearts of the power and the depth and the breadth of that truth that Jesus is enough. It would change everything. It would change everything. Last week, when when we talked about, we were living in this verse, being filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy, we talked about the fact that Jesus is enough to fill in the places of our lives, of our hearts that are empty. Jesus is enough. Jesus is only enough to to satisfy our deepest hunger, our deepest thirst for meaning and purpose and, and wholeness. And Jesus is enough to save. And that's all part of, of a doctrine called the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ, in a sense, says Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing is necessary to save us, to rescue us, to recreate us into the men and the women that he created us to be. Jesus is enough. And it goes beyond that. Jesus is not only enough to save us, Jesus is enough for us in the best of times. Jesus is enough for us in the worst of times. And Jesus is enough for all the everything in between times. Jesus is enough. And if we understood that, if I could only plumb the depths of that and embrace that fully and experience that fully, it would change everything. Jesus is enough. Okay, that's, 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 okay, that's our intro, so let's go. I need you to hang with me because we're going to cover a lot of ground. And uh, the way we usually do it is we usually read a passage and, and then we pray and then we study it, we unpack it. But uh, this week we're going to unpack it as we go through it. So I need you to hang with me and, and, and just follow this. We're going to do it in three parts. Now the first two I, I think you're going to like. And the third, well, maybe not so much. But I pray that we'd be brave. And, and I pray that we'd be courageous. And I pray that we'd be open. Okay, here we go. Uh, Now, as we go into chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. Now, uh, just to recap, we're following Paul and Barnabas, and they're going through the cities, and they're... um they are, they've just been run out of Iconium because they were preaching Jesus, right? And all the unbelieving Jews put a hit out on them. They put a contract out on their lives. And so when they heard about this, they're not stupid. They're booking it to the next town, right? The next city. So they're now in Lystra, and they're going to tell the people in Lystra how much Jesus loves them. And and we're going to see how that turns out. Um, Pick it up in verse 8. Here we go. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. That was his only option. Okay. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Verse 9. He listened to Paul speaking. Now, who is, who is Paul speaking about? Say it again. Yes, I love you guys. Good, good, good. Yes, good church answer, Jesus. So Paul is speaking about Jesus, and this guy is sitting and listening, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Now, we're going to talk about faith to be made well in, in, in coming weeks because we're going to see it again in Acts, but it may not be what you think it is, Okay. Now, he sees that this guy is listening. He sees that this guy has been opened up by God. God has opened his eyes, opened his ears, opened his heart, and the word of hope in Jesus Christ is penetrating his heart, is transforming his heart. And and, and that's the gospel. That's what we all want to do. Whether we've been walking with Jesus from prior to our birth or we're not believers in Jesus yet, we could have our eyes open and our ears open by the Holy Spirit, and, and we could we can understand 
maybe for the first time. And, and that's exactly what was happening to this guy. He said he, he saw that he had faith to be made well, verse 10. And Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. The man jumped to his feet and began walking. Now, what just happened here? What just happened here? We have a guy who was born handicapped. Okay, I'm sorry, that wasn't very PC. He was, he was born mobility challenged. Okay, so you're with me. He had never walked. He was never gonna walk. He had no hope of walking. He had never bought a pair of Tom's shoes because he's never gonna walk, right? And P- Paul is preaching Jesus to him and he's seeing that Jesus is transforming his heart. He has the faith to be made well. And Paul says to him, stand to your feet and walk. And this guy, What does he do as a testimony to what's gone on in his heart? Well, he doesn't do. He doesn't say to Paul, "Uh, uh, uh, I don't know you. I don't know the Jesus you wrote in on. And you're telling me, get up and walk. If you haven't noticed, I'm where I have been every day because I don't walk and I ain't gonna walk. And you want me to stand up and try to stand and fall on my face like a drunken Lizzie Lohan in front of you so you could get your jollies? I don't think so. He doesn't say that. This man for whom walking was never a question of possibility springs to his feet and walks and Jesus heals him. This man could not heal himself. Nobody could heal this man. Jesus heals this man because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to turn the impossibilities in your life and in my life into reality. Jesus is enough. Praise God. Now, before we leave part one, um, there's something I want us to take a look at. Don't miss this. Whenever Jesus performs a miracle, particularly of healing in the physical, it also has implications in the spiritual realm for you and for me. So not only can Jesus heal that, which nobody can heal, he can not only transform hopeless situations in the physical, right? This man who could not walk is now walking, but throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, God is calling us to walk with him, right? That's that's language that says, have a relationship with me, walk with me, follow me. I want to be close to you. I want to lead you in paths of righteousness. I want to lead you into life. I want to lead you into joy. I want to lead you into freedom. Walk with me. That's the image, right? Here's the problem, that every one of us, uh, you, me, Mother Teresa, everybody in between, has made decisions that have crippled us spiritually. We have taken wrong paths that have made us stationary so that we can't walk. And, and Jesus in here is saying in this miracle, he said, I, I, don't, I don't care where you've been. I don't care how long you've tried to stay there. I don't care how long you've been stuck in this rut. I don't care what choices you've made. I don't care how many times you've made those choices. I don't care how heaped up you feel the sin and the shame and the guilt is on you. I can, through my work on the cross, on on the cross, in your place for your sins, this is what I came to do. I came to forgive you. I came to set you free. I came to to give you new life, give you new hope, give you new purpose, to give you the life that I created for you to have, to make you stand up and walk when you thought all you could do was talk the talk and you had no chance of walking the walk. And you know what I'm talking about. He said, you can because I have. I've done this so that you can walk when you thought you could never walk again. You can walk with me, and it doesn't matter what's in your past. I'm talking about your right here, right now, and your forever future. Walk with me. You can do that. I am enough. Jesus is enough. And he can call you to walk. He's saying, I don't care if you feel like where you are right now, you can't take one step toward me. Because I've taken every single step toward you that separates us.
I'm saying stand up and rise. Walk. Because I have set you free. And there's some people here this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're still kind of on the fence with who he is, who need to hear that call. We need to stand up and walk. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. That's part one. So great hope, great news, right? Wonderful power of Jesus. Part two. Part two, this thing really turns into a zoo. This is chaos. So look what breaks out. This is amazing. Verse 11, here we go. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, what Jesus had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now, if Ryan McBride was there, they would have gone, Hercules, 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 right? But no, the, they, the disciples, they say, no, no, you don't do this. You don't do this. Look what happens. Look what happens. Verse 13. They're not listening. All these people are coming out of the corners. They see this guy walking. Verse 13. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, is bringing a train of oxen and garlands to the gates. They're wanting to offer sacrifice with the crowds. They're starting parades. Prince Ali, marvelous he, You know, you got that. And they're going, no, no, stop, stop. They're not listening. They are not listening. They're trying to worship them. And they say, no way. And then the Jews, when, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments. This is what the believing Jews did when they heard heresy. They, they tore their vests. They tore their garments. So if they had attended some of the television preachers, They'd be naked. They'd be just tearing stuff off all the time. That's what they did. So they're trying to say, we will not accept this praise. Wait, no, no. God has come in the form of man, but it ain't us. It ain't us. And so Paul tries to tell them the truth about who Jesus is, but they're not Jews. So he can't use Hebrew scripture. He can't use the Old Testament, so he appeals to them in a language that they can't understand. He uses creation. So he says, look, you've got a living God who just showed off in front of you. He said, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. He's saying, look, you're worshiping dead ideas. You're like myths. You can't do that. Don't do that because they don't have power. When you count on them, they can't come through with you because they're not real. But there is a real and living God that you can worship. And he's here. And he's here. And his name is Jesus. And you've got to believe me. You've got to believe me. And they're not listening. He's turned from these vain things to a living God. And he said he's, he's powerful The God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Not only is he powerful, but he's patient and he's merciful. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Not only is he powerful, not only is he patient and merciful, he is also generous. Here he goes. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Jesus is here. Jesus has blessed you. Even though you don't believe in him, he has given you so much and he wants to give you so much more. He wants to give you everything he is, everything you could ever be, everything you could ever need, everything you could ever want. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And they won't listen to him. They won't listen to him there. They're wanting to have these sacrifices and parades and glorify them as gods. And that we see that in verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Okay, now, before we move on to part three, before we move on to part three, there are two things I want to emphasize um, because they're threatening the church today and they're related to this passage. The first one is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you realize that Jesus is enough, right? We've been there. It is not, that is not what we see today. That is not what we see so often in the church. And it's, it's not what was very popular 
back then, um, which is called syncretism. Now, it was happening in the Bible times in the early church, and it's happening now. And if, if you tune your mind to it, you'll see it all over the place. Syncretism is um, kind of an all-inclusive um, smorgasbord salad bar of spirituality. So I'm not going to kick Jesus all the way out. I'm not going to jettison him at all. I have Jesus, but I'm going to put a little Jesus on my plate, and then I'm going to add a little Zen. I'm going to blend that with that, a little yoga chanting thing, a little karma, a little astrology. I'm going to feng shui a little bit, whatever, whatever works for me, right? And everybody has their own blend, their own thing, but we're not kicking Jesus out. We're not going to do that, but we're going to just add all this other stuff, whatever works for us. The problem is it doesn't work. And the bigger problem is it doesn't work for Jesus because Jesus views this as cheating on your Savior. Jesus views this as adultery, as cheating on your wife or or your husband. He's saying, when I came, I came for an intimate love relationship where we would be married. Uh, And this, don't get creeped out, man. Uh, I would be your ultimate love. And I'm an all or nothing God. And I want all of you and I want you to have all of me. And why? If you have the genuine article, the creator God, the savior God, the rescuer God, do you want to blend that with dead and worthless, cheap imitations? That's syncretism. And it's very popular. And he warns us of it so that we don't get taken down. Number two, the thing that we see there, that we see here, is Paul and Barney would not allow the people to worship them because Jesus is enough and deserves all the glory, right? So what does this have to do with us? Well, if there's somebody in your life who has some spiritual authority, could be a leader of some kind, could be a friend who is more mature in the faith, who has some spiritual authority to speak truth into your life or speak into your life, could be a Bible study leader, a life group leader, or a pastor that you hear and like to listen to or read books from, you think is a real rock star. If this person allows you to adore them and, in a sense, worship them and does not transfer all the glory to Jesus, does not transfer all the glory to God, then you need to run, not walk, away from them because Jesus is enough and deserves all the glory, right? And, and if they care more about you thinking that they're a big deal, rather than you thinking and knowing that Jesus is the biggest deal, that you need to run, not walk. And just a note, you don't want to be standing next to them in a thunderstorm. So uh, those are the two points. That's uh, section two. Here we go, section three. And uh, this is the hard truth. This is where so many of us have a problem, and this is where the fans of Jesus get separated from the faithful of Jesus. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. These are the two cities that they had just run from, right? They followed them. They came to Lystra, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They stoned Paul. Did you get that? One of the guys over here just perked up. Dude, Paul got stoned. I knew I loved this church. That's awesome. It's not that. Paul had large rocks like this. Cat-like reflexes. Um, Like this. Thrown at him. Thrown at him. Stoning was death by torture. Because they didn't stone people very often, their aim wasn't so good, right? They didn't get used to it. So they're hitting you all over the place, and death by stoning could take place over the term of 10 to 20 minutes. 10 to 20 minutes. And and the Jews were fond of this method of execution because no one person could be, be identified as the one who threw the stone that actually caused the death of the victim. So they all walked away feeling they weren't guilty. Now, 
just a note as a sidebar, if stoning ever becomes popular again, find the guy. This is my idea. Find the guy who has the biggest stone, and when he throws it, try to block it with your head. You know, knock yourself out so you won't feel it so much. But Paul didn't do that. He felt every blow. He felt every single blow. And he was broken and battered and bleeding to the point where they thought he was dead. They couldn't see him breathing. They couldn't imagine someone as battered and broken as him living. And they drag him out of the city because they don't want the blood in, in the city. You know, They don't want the dead body. And they leave him. And here's the part where we have a big problem. Here's the part where we have a big problem. If you or I are Paul, let's back up. If you look at the scripture and you look at it kind of skeptically, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're actually looking for truth. If you look at it skeptically, you could ask the question, if God is so loving and God is so powerful, why didn't he keep Paul from getting stoned? If Paul, if God is so loving, God is so powerful, why didn't he keep Paul from, from getting stoned? If you and I were Paul, might we not ask, okay, Jesus, I, 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 I believe in you right? I I received you. I was filled with your Holy Spirit. And so because of that, I want everybody to know how much you love them, how much you want to set them free, how much you you died for them and, and, and want to lead them into life. I did that today, just today. I let you use me to heal this guy who's never walked again. And, and then after that, because I'm filled with your spirit, I won't accept praise. I will I channeled it all to you. I did that. So I get filled with your spirit. I stay faithful. I let you use me to heal a guy. I give you all the glory. And what do I get for that? I get stoned. I get, I get beaten within an inch of my life. How can that be? This is where, this is where we have a problem. This is the crisis of faith. Jesus I believe in you. I trust you. And my family is falling apart. My parents are getting divorced. My spouse cheated on me. I'm losing my kids. Jesus, I trusted you. And I lost my job. And I'm going bankrupt. Really? Jesus, I I pray to you. I pray to you, and my parents are dying. Jesus, I believe in you, and I have cancer. Jesus, I love you, and nobody loves me. Jesus, I look to you. I read your word. I go to church, and I am stuck in the deepest depression that I ever knew existed, I can't even describe it. Jesus, I know you, but I also know betrayal and abuse. Abuse so bad that I can't even bring myself to share it with those closest to me. Really? Really? Yeah, really. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, we would think, would lead us into a life that is trouble-free, right? That would have just everything falling into place all all the time. But as reasonable as that sounds, if we just look under the surface of it, And we understand that believing in Jesus means he takes up residence in our hearts, in our lives. He fills us with his presence. He fills us with his spirit. Would not life and people treat us the same way that they treated him? The one who deserved it the least was stripped and beaten and whipped and bruised 
had a crown of thorns pressed onto his scalp, was flayed, carried his cross, and was crucified and hung there on the cross in our place as our substitute for our sins. And he said it would happen. He said it would happen. John 15, 20. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But he also said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have hardship. You will have pain. You will have train wrecks. You will have everything. But take heart. Look up. Have faith. Have hope. Because I have overcome the world. And in me, so will you. So will you, no matter how bad it gets. And here's a beautiful truth that we can't let go of. We have to cling to it. Not only did Jesus suffer for us, but because he lives in us, when we suffer, he also goes through it again. He suffers with us. Think about Paul, the very guy who just got stoned. When Jesus called him, when Jesus called him, what was he doing? His name was Saul, right? He's persecuting the church. He's having people arrested, having their children ripped away. He's having them put to death for believing in Jesus Christ. And he's going to another city, Damascus, to to do it, to do it again. And Jesus literally knocks him off his horse, the risen Christ, knocks him off his horse and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? What did he say? Why do you persecute me? Because in hurting my people, you hurt me because I indwell my people and I'm going to go through it with them. You will never suffer alone with Jesus Christ. He is not only suffering for you, he is suffering with you. And in that, he can redeem it as his own suffering was redeemed. 1 Peter 4, 4, 12-13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We can rejoice in the midst of suffering, and it's almost inconceivable that we could possibly do that. But Christ in us is saying, I can change that. I can bring glory to it. I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. I'm going to carry you through this. I have suffered for you. I will suffer with you. I will bear your burdens. I will lift you up. And just as I was raised up, I will raise you up. And that's the hope. That's the hope we have. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're following Jesus Christ, that is not the problem-free life. That is the life that overcomes the problems because he's within us and the strength of Jesus Christ can carry us through whatever we're dealing with. Whatever we're dealing with. We live in a broken world as broken people. What would glorify him more? People who win the lottery, have everything falling into place in every area of their life. They're successful at work, successful at this, successful at that. Everything's going great. And they can smile with joy and say, God is good. Or people who absorb everything that the world can throw at them. The pain, the hardship, everything. They are battered physically, emotionally. They're wrecked. And yet from within that, in the power of Jesus Christ, their spirits are able to rise up and say, God is good. God is good. That's what we can do. And you say, yeah, but I dream of a day. I dream of a world where there is no suffering, where there's no hardship, where there's no abuse, where there's no betrayal, where there's no pain. And Jesus says, yeah, I came up with that idea. I'm bringing that to bear. I'm bringing that in. That's called my kingdom. And it's starting in you. And guess how I'm doing it? Through my own betrayal, through my own pain, through my own suffering, through my own heartbreak. Right at this moment, Jesus has not chosen to eliminate suffering, but through suffering, to create a new humanity, to create the world that we all long for. We have a God who understands. In the deepest pain, we have a God who understands. 
Because he doesn't watch as a spectator, as, as, as a standby. He doesn't witness our suffering from a distance. He enters into it as he did on the cross. And he enters into our suffering and can bring about a knowledge of him that is indescribable. How do you know a suffering Savior if you don't experience suffering? C.S. Lewis said, we have a God who understands. He allows suffering for now, so that we don't mistake this world as our home, as our home. We have a God who understands. Where else would you run in the deepest, darkest, most hurting places? Where else would you run but to him? We have a God who understands. The truck pulled up an old pickup, and drove down the gravel driveway at a farm in Oklahoma. Out of the pickup bounded a seven-year-old boy, and his dad came out of the driver's seat and took his hand and walked him up to this this farmhouse where there were eight um, golden retriever puppies playing, and the owner was standing proudly there. The, the young boy had done chores for months to save up money for his first puppy, and he was so excited. His face was beaming, and his father said, son, you've earned it. Pick out any, anyone, you, anyone you like, anyone you like, and, and the boy was just, just beaming. He's looking at these puppies rolling over one another, as you've seen. He says, sir, is, is this all of them? And as, as if the puppy could, could almost hear him, he saw a black nose pointing out from underneath the steps of the, the porch of the house. And he began, the puppy did, to, to claw his way out. And he would put his front legs forward and drag himself, put his front legs forward and drag himself. And he was looking up at the boy. And, and the owner said, well, you don't want that one. He says, why not? Well, if you came an hour later, uh, he wouldn't even be here. I mean to take him behind the barn and take a shovel to him. Uh, because look, I mean, his back legs are malformed. He's, he's worth nothing. He's no good because he'll never run. He'll never jump. He'll never fetch. He'll never play like these puppies will. He's worthless. And, and, and the boy couldn't even hear him. He scoops him up. And the puppy is just beaming, looking up at this boy. And the boy takes him lovingly and sits down on the steps of the porch. And as he does so, his overall pant legs ride up as he sits down. And the owner sees that the young boy has two prosthetic legs. And he looks up at the owner and says, Sir, I'd like this one, please. Because I think he needs an owner who understands. Jesus entered into our pain and was wounded because until we get home, he knew we needed a God who understands. And as much as you can know Jesus in the blessings of this life, you can know him and experience him and his comfort and his peace, and his joy, and his strength, and the power of his resurrection. Only in the midst of your brokenness and your pain, and that's part of the package. And when Jesus preached this, many walked away. I pray we wouldn't. I pray we wouldn't. This is the part that calls for bravery. This is the part that calls for courage. I know the prayer requests because you come to me and and you ask for these. I know the situations that are going on in so many lives. I'm asking if you're there, if in some way you know how Paul felt, beaten down, within an inch of his life. If you know somebody who's not here, but is weighing on your heart because they are, 
I'm going to ask you to do a very brave and courageous thing. I'm not going to ask you to unpack all of that for everybody. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask, please, for yourself or for somebody else who knows the truth of those statements, Lord, I love you, and look, look what happened. If that's you, if that's somebody you care about, I'd ask you to stand. Jesus, I love you, and I'm experiencing incredible pain. Jesus, I love you, and somebody I love is going through something that is so dark I can't imagine. It calls for bravery. It calls for courage. This is where we find him. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to speak. I'm just asking you to stand. Have the courage. Jesus, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, man. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You go. God bless you. I or somebody I love. God bless you. Stay standing. Stay standing. Because here is the miracle. The miracle of this passage. The greatest miracle wasn't the man walking who never walked. Here it is. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. Paul rose up when the disciples gathered around him. What do you think they're doing? They're praying. They're saying, Paul, we're calling on Jesus on your behalf, that Jesus is enough, that he can come around you. He can give you his spirit. You can go on when you think you can't go on. There is hope. And what happened? He rose up and entered the city on the next day. He went on with Barnabas to Derby to do it again. The disciples gathered around him, and he rose up. That's the call of the church. For each person who is standing, some back there, some here, I just want us to gather around them and to pray. Can we do that? Everybody stand. Look, look at the people. People who are closest to you, come on, just move wherever you need to move. I want, you, I want us to get around them and just pray, as those early disciples did, that Jesus is enough that they would be filled with his spirit, that his healing power would be strong upon them. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. I just ask that everybody just place a hand on them. And whether they want to, sh- they could share with you what they're going through, who they're praying for, whether themselves or somebody else. They may not need to. They may not be able to. If they can't, just pray for them that God would be enough, that Jesus would be enough. Let's lift him up. Let's do that right now. Let's just enter into prayer. Let's have a time of prayer. Somebody start. Yes, just pray. Just pray.